0: long time ago, as a graduate student, I rented an upstairs bedroom from an elderly woman for a couple of years. The house was even older than she was, and it was in ill repair, and the neighborhood was even in worse shape. Margaret took me in for her protection, and I rented from her because the rent was ridiculously inexpensive. And we got along famously. Uh, Right up until the time that her sister came to live with her from California, Mavis was confined to a wheelchair and she chain-smoked some of the raunchiest cigarettes known to mankind. I mean, it wasn't the greatest of digs to begin with. It was a really old, musty house. It attracted mice routinely, and now the air was thoroughly polluted. I was convinced I'd been sent to purgatory. (laughs) One day I walked down the steps from my little room with its fresh air into the smoke-filled living room on the main floor. And I'll never forget the scene. There is Mavis sitting in her wheelchair staring at the TV screen. And on the screen, a matter of inches from her face, was a WWF wrestler screaming right at Mavis. You don't know what that means. They're just... Crazy people. But he's on, the, he's, on this, he's on this TV just looking right at her. He had this long, wild hair, tattoos on his bulging muscles, no shirt. He was just a wild, crazy man. So here's Mavis, hunched over in her wheelchair, expressionless, just looking at this guy. And he is screaming and pointing his finger right in her face and says... You have to quit smoking, because you're killing yourself. (laughs) You talk about an awkward moment. I just kind of slinked through the living room and out the front door and thought, wow, she got hit with a sledgehammer right between the eyes. But I knew it would make no difference. No public service commercial, no matter how bold, was going to convince her to give up her habits. Even though that habit was killing her, the guy got her attention, but I knew she wouldn't change. She had to choose to listen and turn from her destructive way of life. But I was convinced it'd never happen. Now this message, the message might be different from this message. But appeals to our will are a common aspect of human existence. You just think about it for a while and you realize you're hearing these kind of appeals all the time. We are routinely asked to act in a certain way or to believe a certain thing. Sometimes those appeals are rather bold. The media bombards us with advertisements calling us to buy certain products, to go to certain places, to believe certain things, to act in a certain way. Political activists, particularly right now, are probably appealing to us to vote for their candidate, or for or against some legislative proposal. But chief among these voices, appealing to our will, is the voice of God. He speaks. He calls to us. Now this really, as we think about it, is an amazing mercy. God could choose to leave us to ourselves. He could let us walk in whatever way we wish. Or He could treat us like robots and pre-program us so that we would do every move in just the right way according to His will. But in His grand mercy, in His written word... God lifts up His voice. He calls us to heed His ways and His counsel, to follow Him and to respond to Him. That's really a mercy. There are two realities that come into play as we consider God's appeal to align our lives with His call. I want you to think on these two realities as they'll come to bear upon the text before us today, I think significantly. The first reality is this, it's that deathly notion that plagues every one of us. To put it into words, it is something like this, I can get away with this, I can get away with this. I can live this way, I can think this thing, I can go this direction against God's way, but I can, I'll be okay. It'll work out. That's reality one. The second reality, and maybe I should even mention here that in that reality I can get away with it, sometimes is bold rebellion against God's word. Sometimes it's just not listening to that nagging conscience. Just, just Setting it aside, not really wanting to think about it. But overall, the point is I can get away with this. It'll be all right if I go my own way. Reality number two is that sickening, gut wrenching realization that the course of life that I've pursued outside the fear of God has entrapped me and I'm devastated. This is just to use a simple illustration that's right here before us. First reality is the smoker that says, it'll be all right. Maybe I shouldn't do this, but it's going to all turn out okay. I read somewhere about somebody that was 110 and smoked. I, I, I'm, I'm, going to be one, I'm going to beat the odds or something. But I, I can get away with this. And then that one day when the doctor says you have lung cancer, that's the second reality. That heart-sinking cry in the soul that says, What have I done? Why have I chosen this course? How stupid I have been! What a fool I've been! I wish that I could go back and do it all over again. In some area of life, we've all faced these two realities. We live in sin against the call of God and we think we can get by with it. And then somewhere down the way, and particularly as we age and there's enough time in our, in our history, we run into the wall. And we say, why have I done this? What was I thinking? What a fool. We learn of this mercy of God who speaks to us in both of these realities in Proverbs chapter 1. And I invite you to turn there. We learn of this mercy. God speaks to us in the first reality, where I say, I can get away with this. And He speaks to us at the end when we are ruined and in disaster. But He speaks to us all along the way. And this we see in Proverbs chapter 1, the latter part of this chapter. Now as we come to the 20th verse in our journey through Proverbs, we find wisdom is personified. Now, wisdom, of course, is not a woman, literally. But wisdom is, literally, living with moral skill and developing discernment as we respond to God's revealed will. But in this passage, wisdom is personified. It's made to look like a woman, and I think that says something to us. We'll get to that later. But right now, just understand, in a literary way, wisdom takes on the face of a woman who speaks. We find Lady Wisdom's invitation beginning at verse 20. It is an invitation. And the setting and the manner of that invitation is very important. Ask yourself the question as we look at these first two verses, where does Lady Wisdom position herself and how does she speak? And what does that tell us? Consider it. Verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. Where is she? How does she speak? Her position we find instructive. The life of an ancient city was centralized at the main entrance gate leading in, uh, through the walls. A lot of life took place there. Usually the busiest place in the city was just inside those gates, or at least at the head of a, of a major street inside, a walkway. Usually there was an open-air market which teemed with people every day. There's not refrigerators. You have to go to market every day to get food. And so everybody in the town generally was passing through this area every day. Trade took place here. Business deals were negotiated here. Justice was adjudicated and political influence was wielded here at the entrance of the city. It says something to us. We I mean, Notice, for instance, just philosophically speaking, wisdom is not inside the city on some hill behind a fortress. Where the wise go and climb the hill and seclude themselves to pursue wisdom and study. Wisdom is not in a home in the city. Wisdom is not in a library somewhere. Wisdom is right out there on the bustling street in the busy plaza amidst the hubbub of the city. This call of God to live skillfully, to follow His will, and to put life together as it was designed to be lived, this voice is out there looking for people to hear. And her speech, we notice, secondly, she gives a ringing cry. The Hebrew scholar Gesenius calls this a tremulous and stridulous sound. <laughs> Who knows what that means, but it, it makes sense. The, a tremulous and stridulous sound. In other words, she is out there Yelling. She's in everybody's face. You can't miss her voice. Lady Wisdom raises her voice so that all can hear. I remember a a godly old evangelist that once told the story that he was on a bus, a city bus with his daughter, and he began to sing a gospel song. And his daughter hit him and said, Stop it. Everybody can hear you. And he said... That's exactly the point. And that's the point here. You know, Lady Wisdom, if she had some children, might be a little bit embarrassed. I mean, Mom, tone it down. But she's out there where everyone can hear, and she raises her voice and says, Hear the Word of the Lord. All of you, hear the Word of the Lord. She's certainly more dignified than a WWF wrestler yelling at people to quit smoking. But she's just as determined, isn't she? She's just as determined. Understood in the best sense of the word, Lady Wisdom has a big mouth. She raises it so that all will hear. She's not hiding And we notice in her invitation there is, secondly, a rebuke. We see where she's located and how she speaks. And this call of wisdom comes with a rebuke in verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So Lady Wisdom apparently has some history with some of these people. Or said another way, she needs no history with any of us. She knows our frame, she knows our nature, and she knows this is right where we are. We are simple ones. She, in fact, speaks here of three different kinds of fools. Remember, a fool is not somebody who's just dumb, lacking knowledge, but someone who is morally twisted when it comes to God's revealed Word. There's three fools, different Hebrew words that are used here, As we find in our translation in verse 22, first of all, the simple ones. Simple ones. The Hebrew speaks of one who is simple-minded and naive, easily persuaded. This is the person who just bounds down the road with no idea where it's leading. No idea that destruction is on the way forward here. We might picture it as somebody is canoeing joyfully down the river that leads to the Niagara Falls. Somebody on the side is yelling and saying, Wake up, friend! You've got to turn course. That's the simple one. Just naive, ignorant, not aware of what God is saying. Little idea of the word of the Lord. Secondly is scoffers. Here the Hebrew word speaks of a mocker, a big talker, a brazen cynic and free thinker who doesn't really care what God thinks because he knows more. And then there's thirdly the fool. The Hebrew word speaks of one who is a moral dullard, one who is hard-headed and insensitive to what God thinks. So different angles on the fool, all of them, Are twisted when it comes to the word of God and the fear of the Lord. So, to these individuals, wisdom lifts up her voice and says, How long will you love your folly? How long will you delight to hate the knowledge of the Lord? And then at verse 23, she comes to a word of promise. In this invitation, out there calling for people, there is this warning, or this rebuke. You have refused wisdom. You've refused the fear of the Lord. Now, the promise in her invitation, verse 23, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my Spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Pour out, notice it says, pour out my spirit to you, not pour out my spirit upon you. There's significance there. It's saying, I will make my words known to you. You will inculcate them. You will come to know them and discern them. My spirit will walk with you as you come to know these words. I think it's simply in the, in the parallel statement. What it means that his spirit is poured out to them is, I will make my words known to you. You will get it you'll hear my word and you'll get it. That's the invitation. Come to me. Listen to the word of the Lord. And my spirit will go with you, declaring that truth. So those who repent of traveling against God's will, verse 22, are able to internalize God's word as they open their ears and listen in a moral sense. Rather than not knowing what God says, or not caring what God says, or being thick-headed to what God says, now God's Word will live in you and give you life and hope. This is the invitation that's out there in the city square. The key that unlocks the door of this promise, then, is repentance. To turn away from my own ways, my own thinking, and to hear the Word of the Lord. To reorder the direction of my life. And this appeal applies to all of us. If you would say, I've listened to Lady Wisdom's call. I have heard the word of the Lord and I'm seeking to turn my life on that hinge of His word. It is the center of who I am. If you can say that today, you didn't earn that position. You were turned off a different road onto this road by the grace of God. For those who are not heeding God's wisdom, whether you, whichever category you might fall into, just naive and unaware or thick-headed and just not willing to yield or really mocking the truth of God, wherever you are in that, the answer is to turn. The answer is to change. The answer is to respond to God's call and to change course. So having lodged this rebuke and then followed by this promise for the repentant, we witness then secondly Lady Wisdom's warning. We find her invitation, come to me. Hear my word, but there's a warning if we don't do what she is saying, if we don't accept the invitation. The warning is described in verses 24 and following. Verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. The judgment in verses 24 and 25, the verdict is in. The judgment is that the call to heed God's counsel has gone unheeded. Which leads to the sentence in verse 26 I then will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Where are we? Go back to the beginning. This is reality two. Reality one, verse 22. Spurning the word of God. I can get away with this. But now we've come to reality two. The judgment, you've not listened. The sentence, I will laugh. The moral fool has ignored God's counsel, perhaps even openly rejected it, and the inevitable consequences have now been realized. What are they? Notice the words in verses 26 and 27. I mean, this is serious. What are those words? Calamity, terror, terror, calamity, distress, anguish. All there in verses 26 and 27. All this tragedy, we also note here, hits like a violent storm or tornado, which indicates what? How do these storms come upon us? They come unexpectedly. I mean, we have weather reports here, and people could read the skies back then, and you, you know something's coming, but you don't really anticipate a tornado coming through your neighborhood. It's unexpected on some level. Secondly, there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop it. Have you ever been in a storm where trees are falling down in front of your eyes? You know there's not a thing in the world you can do to stop it. And thirdly, it causes great damage, some of which is irreparable or at least irreplaceable. That's what's hit their life. This is reality too. This is irreparable. We can't go back in time. We can't reverse history. We are facing this calamity, this terror, this disaster, this anguish. And Lady Wisdom responds to this catastrophic horror by laughing. And I, we may not really even like her a whole lot right now. She talks with a big mouth, getting in everybody's face, and then she laughs when you get into trouble. Remember, it's a personification. But it makes a point, doesn't it? I don't think this is heartless laughter. Mocking the person who has run into the consequences of sin. We need to understand the whole thing. This is the only thing wisdom can really do at this point in face of such senseless folly. She scoffs. might picture a uh, a father ta- with his son in, in Australia or somewhere, and he's introducing him to the concept of a boomerang. And he says, now you take this thing and you throw it like this, but don't do it because it, it'll come back and it'll hit you, and it, and it could really hurt if you're not careful. And the kid just says, whatever, my dad doesn't know anything anyway, and he takes the thing and he throws it, and the boomerang does exactly what a boomerang's designed to do. It comes back and hits him right in the forehead and knocks a scar into his head. He's bleeding, and, he's, and, and what does the dad do? He could possibly chuckle, right? He just, I mean, What do you do but laugh at such folly of not listening, and then you, you're just facing the exact consequences of what I've said, and of course, then leans over and and takes care of the wound and works with his son. That's what we have here with wisdom. She just just scoffs. She just laughs. What did you think was going to happen? But I think here the scene is maybe not quite that warm. This is not a little kid whose wound can be attended to and you kind of pass it off as immaturity and a lesson learned. There's something a little bit more serious here. This is more like the derision that we might have if a candidate for office against whom we've voted numerous times is now brought down by ethics probe, by an ethics probe. You, you kind of like you laugh a little bit. You go, there you go. It's one author said, truth has a hard edge, and wisdom does not dull it. Her shock tactics aim to persuade the young to turn to her. You don't want to get in a position where I laugh at you, and where I scoff, because this is the road that you laid out for yourself. Now we can look at Lady Wisdom here and be a little bit upset with her for being so heartless. Now what we need to do is listen to her. And she'll have no occasion to scoff at the stupidity of refusing God's counsel. We need to turn and hear the word of the Lord. That's the point. Adding to the horror of it all, the text moves from judgment. There's this judgment, you have refused to listen, to the sentence, Calamity, terror, distress, and anguish, and wisdom laughing. Now to the finality of it all. Verse 28. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. They're frightening words. Then, that is when the disastrous results of sin finally overtake them, Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. Do you see the connection here to verse 21? Wisdom is calling out to the fool to listen, to turn course, and the fool will not hear. But now the fool sees reality and calls out to wisdom, and wisdom will not hear. We're in the realm of the second reality. This is that horrifying point in life. We've all been there. If you're old enough, at least, you're dealing with it right now. We've all been there. That point in life when you realize Lady Wisdom was right, that you can't get by with it, and you're now paying the consequences. And the reason for the pain, verse 29, is because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. They didn't have the fear of the Lord. The problem is not that they had wax in their ears and could not hear God's appeal to their conscience. The problem is that they did not want to hear what He had to say. We're dealing here with a real piece of life. When we close our ears and do not want to listen to what God says, when we're in that spot, we're in trouble. And finally, the reality dawns. Lacking the fear of the Lord in their lives, their life unravels. We hated the knowledge you hated knowledge. You did not choose the fear of the Lord. You would have none of his counsel. You despised all my reproof. Now you are where you are. You jumped off a cliff and gravity took over. Therefore, verse 31 they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. God is not picking on them. They are simply reaping what they themselves sowed in the field of moral consequences. They have been stuffing their mouths with their foolish ways, their sinful, sensual, God-forgetting ways, and now they are utterly nauseated by all that has happened. Nauseated by, once, by what once brought them pleasure. We have a a family, there's a Christmas tree, and under the tree is this big box of chocolates. And mom and dad go to bed on Christmas Eve, and they say to the kids, you can have a few chocolates, just a small handful, in the morning when you get up, because it's Christmas and we do really dumb things on Christmas, but it's okay. You You can have a small handful, but don't eat much. And the kids get around the tree early in the morning and they get out the chocolates and they eat the whole box and when mom and dad get up the kids are green and it's not with envy they are sick and they wish they were dead that's the picture he draws here You take it in. You take it in. You go your way. You say, I can get away with this. But then the day comes when you are full. The full here is not satisfied. The full here is absolutely nauseated, sick of my life. That day is going to come for all who fail to heed the wisdom of God's counsel. That's the warning. So there's an invitation, come to my wisdom, hear my word, hear the word of the Lord. There's the warning, when we don't do that, we will face the consequences, it's inevitable. And so in conclusion here to this text, the two contrasting paths to sum it all up, verses 32 and 33. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Notice there's peace here, in one sense. It's a false peace, but what is it? The peace of complacency. That is, we're not going to listen to the word of the Lord. We're happy with the way we have life set up right now. In contrast, verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Here also there is peace, but this is the peace of rest in God's purposes. This is the one who is receiving the fruit of righteousness. It may seem liberating to reject the voice of wisdom, but failing to heed God's counsel creates a path that always leads to misery. Wisdom is in our face here pointing a finger at us, and with reverence but with great fervor saying, this is how life works. You reject the Word of the Lord. You reject godly counsel. You refuse to take in wisdom and learn to live life skillfully. That is not going to end well. But if you will heed the Word of the Lord... You will dwell secure without disaster, without any fear. The exact opposite, verse 33, of verses 26 and 27. Calamity, terror, distress, and anguish. Here there is peace. And the key is to heed the voice of the Lord. To hear His counsel. I I tell you, this is is not a feel-good message. In fact, as you look at this passage, it's really bent in a fairly negative way. You guys are refusing to hear my counsel, and disaster is coming. And I'm telling you this, says Lady Wisdom. It's not a feel-good message. It's heavy on warning. It speaks of judgment. Yet it ends on this glorious note in verse 33. We need to remember that. In place of the smug complacency of the moral fool, we have here a person whose life is at peace with God because they've heard the voice of the Lord, they have followed His will, and they now are reaping the fruits of righteousness in their life. Not that everything goes their way. Not that there's no problems. Every one of us faces the consequences of sin. But there is a settledness that says... God's voice is good. His word and his counsel is solid, and it has led to a life of peace and success. Now why is this passage here? In the book of Proverbs, in Holy Scripture, why this passage? I think thus far it's really pretty straightforward, isn't it? hear God's call. If you don't, disaster. If you do, peace. But why this lengthy discussion of lady wisdom personified calling out to us in this very simple way? Let's dig just a bit further by way of application. and Track with me. I think what we learn here, what we see here in this text, is we learn of the ethical, practical, relational nature of wisdom. And that's important. Wisdom is not purely intellectual. It's relational. It's not merely a topic to be studied. It is far more a relationship to pursue. At the heart of this message from Lady Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. God is a personal God who reveals His will so that His creatures learn to obey Him and walk in fellowship with Him. He desires that we display His glory by imitating His character in everyday living. One lexicon brought out at some length this reality that the ancient Greek philosophers such as Plato saw knowledge itself as virtue. Get rational knowledge and you will live righteously. was his statement. It's the way he saw it. But this passage, I think, sees it differently. Wisdom appeals to our will. It calls us to turn from sin, to choose to obey God's revealed Word out of reverence for Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not the accumulation of a lot of facts. Now, as wisdom develops, more and more facts will be learned. Truth will be pursued with great interest, but we must remember at its heart that wisdom is relational, it is ethical, it is a matter of morality and responding to the call of God. Biblical wisdom is not then speculative or purely intellectual, it's practical, rational, ethical. As one has said, the will of the wise are captivated by God. The will of the wise are captivated by God. Secondly, we are warned of the dangers of self-satisfied moral complacency that says, I can get away with this. Reality number one it's going to be okay, is destroyed by this passage. Lady Wisdom gets right in front of our face and says, that's a lie. It's not going to work out. You cannot get away with sin. You cannot live opposed to the fear of God and thrive. It won't happen. And so there's a real warning here for all of us to consider. But maybe today as you hear this word, you analyze your life and you say, there's a cold heart that I'm dealing with. I see no progress in developing moral skill and discernment in my life. I don't seem to be going anywhere, going forward. Don't be smug in that situation. Don't just say it's all going to work out. Throw yourself at the mercy of God and ask Him to shake you out of your lethargy now. Because entrenched rejection of God's counsel leads to a course of life that ends in calamity, terror, distress, and anguish. Know this and plead with Him to change and change. Respond. It says to us, along these lines then also that there are eternal destinies let me make a comment on that in a moment but for those who do not know christ as savior you don't have forever to receive the mercy of god you don't have forever the offer of grace will end and the answer is to repent and embrace christ as savior crucified and risen So on to that next point. Thirdly, we face, I think, in this text, the reality of eternal destinies based on earthly behavior. What we do in this life has eternal consequences. I think that this text is pointing that way. Though it's not fleshed out very deeply, it's pointing that way. The choices we make in this life are real choices. They're not pseudo-choices. They're not a dress rehearsal awaiting the real choices in eternity. We have choices to make in this life and there are eternal consequences. Moral decision making in this life becomes a farce and the fool's complacency excusable if there are no eternal consequences for our actions in this life. I I say that in the world in which we find ourselves. There's a lot of people that hate this passage. They say that this is a religious this is religious people's way of scaring people to do what they want them to do. That's, that's the way they would view this text. The God in His mercy comes before us and says, no, that's not the idea at all. You need to understand your choices in this life are real choices. And there are eternal consequences because you're an eternal being. If God will not hold us accountable in eternity for loving others on earth, and loving others becomes optional. Loving others is not an option. God treats us as moral agents who will be held accountable for our sin. And that can lead to absolute despair. But it doesn't need to. The earthly consequences of our sins are not removed. But the good news is that the eternal consequences can be. And there again, we find the call to turn from our sin and to believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty of that sin and will, by His grace, give to those who trust Him salvation and forgiveness of the sins that we've committed. We see it rightly, we realize we're all on that path of rejection of God's Word. But at a glorious point in time, those who know Christ as Savior turn from that path. They listen to the Word of God, and He gives them life and forgiveness forever. All of the eternal consequences of our earthly crimes are placed on Christ, who pays the penalty and forgives those then who trust Him. Amen. What a joy that is to know. Down here, there's consequences. God in His mercy has removed the eternal punishment for those who believe. And for those who believed, I hope that somewhere in this conversation today, there is a sense of sin and conviction There is a sense that in some area of your life, you need to stop sowing the seeds of unrighteousness, knowing that it's going to get you nowhere. We don't get away with anything. And God, in that situation, does not muffle His voice. He's calling us boldly over the hubbub and the din of our busy lives. In this passage, He gets in our face and He urges us to repent of sin, to heed His counsel, to walk in fellowship with Him. This may be the warning you must have before calamity and disaster strikes, before you get out of sync with God and face the consequences. Will you heed that call? That's a question for all of us. Will we listen to the voice of God and come after wisdom and search for it with all of our heart in the fear of the Lord? You know what? I was wrong about Mavis and the Screaming Wrestler. Mavis listened. I'm not kidding you. This old woman set in her ways, this all-day-long chain smoker quit. I couldn't believe it. She listened, apparently, to that bold message. She turned course, and her life and mine got a whole lot better. The smoke was cleared out of our lives. When people heed the voice of counsel, beautiful things can happen. Can you imagine what God will do if we turn from our foolish ways that are leading us to misery and listen to the counsel of His Word? Imagine what would happen if husbands heeded God's counsel to genuinely love their wives sacrificially as Christ Love the church, stop saying, I can get away with this, and listened to the voice of God and began to love their wives as they should. What might happen? Imagine if people renounced their sour attitudes and bitter spirits and obeyed God's counsel, really heard his word to give thanks in all things and to rejoice evermore. Imagine what God might do if young people listened to God's counsel and began obeying their parents with honor and respect, turning from a course that says, I'm going to get away with all that I can, to the course of I'm going to bend my will to theirs as long as God leaves me in their home. Imagine what would happen if wives listened to God's counsel and ordered their lives as the suitable helper of their husbands honoring them as the church honors Jesus. I quit saying I can get away with this. I'll do it my way. The Bible's a little bit off track. I'm going to turn from that way of thinking and I'm going to follow the counsel of God, not my better wisdom. His counsel. Imagine what would happen if men turned in repentance and stopped saying, I can get away with internet pornography. It's okay. There won't be any disasters. Imagine what God would do if believers stopped thinking they could get away with robbing God and really turned their wealth over to His sovereign authority. Imagine what God would do if believers renounced their fears and lethargy and began proclaiming Christ crucified and risen in the city, at the crossroads, in the busy hubbub of life. What might happen if we turned at God's reproof and the sovereign Lord of the universe poured out His Spirit to teach us His wisdom. Will we heed the voice of the Lord? Will we turn from our folly and honor His Word in reverence? This is the question before each of us. Where do you need to turn. What do you need to stop? What do you need to start?